0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So without further ado, we are going to get into the word of God this morning. And so if you have your Bible, could you turn to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians 2, 14 through 18 is our text today. And if you do not have a physical Bible, we do have Bibles on the tables just to the right or the left. uh, As you walk in, those Bibles are for you to use during church or to keep. If you don't have one or you just want that translation or you want to give that out, those are yours to take and keep as well. But if you've been with us, you know that we are taking this kind of slow, deep dive into the book of Philippians. And we're spending about six, seven months just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book. And if you've been here the last two months, you'll probably know that um, before we kind of get into it, I like to give, I remind us of the context. Because context is key. Context is key to every single time you open up the Bible Context of situations is important in life in general, but especially when you're reading the Bible, because if you don't know the context, not only are you going to miss out on the potency, but you probably might read the verse or interpret the verse wrong. Might get it wrong or might misunderstand or misinterpret it if you don't know the context. So it's important to remember that we call this the book of Philippians, but what it is, is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He's in prison in Rome. At this current moment in history, when he's writing this historical document, he's chained up and he's writing to a group of Christians in the city of Philippi, hence Philippians. These are a group of Philippian believers that Paul helped start this church some years before. And so Paul has a personal investment in the well-being of this church. Paul is a pastor at heart. He's a church planter, but also he has personally helped found this church, and now he's traveled all the way to Rome. He's been imprisoned because of his faith, and he's writing them this letter. And there's a handful of things that he's trying to communicate, but what I want us to remember is that this is maybe, perhaps, in Paul's opinion, this could be the last communication he has with them. And so everything he's saying, he's trying to communicate some like lasting most important thoughts. Because again, he just does not know if he'll see them again, and he, he knows they're young in their faith, they're a new church, and so there's things that he wants to get across. And so with that in mind, uh, I want to read our text and then pray over it, but just to back up a few verses for context, I'm going to le- read Philippians 2:12 through 18. So uh, here we go. Paul, again, speaking to the church in Philippi. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, once again, we thank you for this place and space that you've created so that we could on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, That we would gather with the saints, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to not only worship you, but to hear you speak to us through your living word. Even our text today refers to it as the word of life. It's what gives us life, it's what tells us the meaning of our life. It's what gives us hope for everlasting life and a way to abundant life. And we have it in front of us and we're thankful for it. And so Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word to illuminate the truths of this word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you haven't already gotten this by now, depending on how much you've read of the Apostle Paul, because he's written about two-thirds of the New Testament. You'll know that a huge part of how God has used Paul, like in his life, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was like the number one guy against it. He would literally go round up and arrest Christians to try to stop the movement of Jesus. And then God saves him miraculously. And he does a 180 with his life. And he is the most zealous, sold-out Christian there is. Once a persecutor, now he goes and he's starting churches. And he's raising up leaderships. And he's writing letters. And over and over, I mean, this guy is just going for it. So since his conversion, he's planting churches, he's raising up leaders. But a lot of what God used him to do was actually to write letters a lot of Paul's ministry was writing letters to churches was communicating to them something over writing and these letters that we have again we have about 13 of them in the New Testament some are written to churches some are written to specific pastors some are just general for every Christian everywhere but depending on the context of the city or the church that he's writing to, there's different subjects or there's different matters that are, that are being addressed in these letters. But the bulk of Paul's writing to all these churches and all these different cities scattered across Europe and Asia and the Middle East, a bulk of what he's writing is he's addressing Christian character and Christian conduct. Right In a nutshell, he teaches and preaches and trains and equips the Christian to know how we ought to live and think and act inside our new identity as followers and believers of Jesus. So again, Paul, there's some specific things that he addresses, but overall, a huge bulk of his writing is just training and equipping the Christian what it means to be a Christian. Because, again, if you think of the timeline of history, Paul is writing this not far after the time of Jesus. But there isn't a lot of commentaries. There's no commentaries. There's no, you know, schools of theology. There's not 2,000 years of church history that you can naturally pull from. And so naturally, like, he's talking to brand-new Christians with no history of Christianity. Like, this is a new movement. It's the movement of Jesus in the ancient world. And so much of Paul's thematic, you know, information, much of what he's communicating is just how we ought to live inside a broken world with our new identity in Christ. So as we continue to read and study, like for example, this letter written to the Philippians, much of what we'll see and hear in Paul's writing, it's coming from a very pastoral heart. It's coming very much as a mentor to mentees or a teacher to apprentices because Paul is literally trying to communicate how they ought to live like A to Z. How you ought to think and act and speak and live inside of this new identity. And because Paul knows he doesn't have much time, He doesn't know how long he'll live. He doesn't know how much time he'll have with these people. A lot of his letters come off pretty matter-of-fact. They're direct. Because he just knows that time is limited, and he's trying to communicate a lot of information in a short time. And he knows that his letter uh, worth of words is all that he may have in order to communicate all he wants to say. And so today, like most of our time, Paul is continuing to speak to this idea of sanctification. Okay, sanctification is a just a big theological word, meaning very simply the process of becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification. The idea of being sanctified or set apart is the process that believers are all supposed to be in to become more like Jesus. And really, if you're going to break down, like, theologically, there's really three stages of the Christian. Number one, it's justification. Justification. Right, That we've been justified through the work of Jesus upon the cross. That he saved us. That he's redeemed us. He's forgiven our sins. And we've been justified and redeemed before God the Father. That's justification. That happens at the time of salvation. Okay? It's like theology 101 for a second. But then once you're saved, once you're justified, every Christian the moment you're saved to the moment you see Jesus face-to-face in heaven, you are in the process of sanctification. And glorification is when we no longer are here in our mortal bodies in this broken world and we see Jesus face-to-face and we are free of sin and the effects of sin and we get glorified bodies and we live for Christ with Christ in heaven for all of eternity. If you're to break down Christianity into three, three distinct stages, it's when you meet Jesus and he saves you, you're justified. The, 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 the hour, the minute after, you become, oh, I'm in the process. The stage of Christianity that I'm in is sanctification until I meet glorification. But my point is, all of us in this room that believe Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead and we're a Christian, we're in this process of sanctification. What that means is that we are all in process. We are all in progress. Meaning regardless of age or how long you've been a Christian, we are and will always be, until we get to glorification, we are all going to be works in progress. No one is going to obtain perfection in and of this world. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did. We can't do that. We're not going to get there fully. Because we're still going to live with the brokenness that we reside in in this world. But because we know where we're at now, the entirety of our lives as Christians, entirety of your mortal life, regardless of your age or how long God has you on this earth, We're to be in supposed to be in a constant state of change and growth that our life would become more like Jesus over time. Like that is the goal of the Christian to become more like Jesus. And so what areas of continued sanctification does that cover in our life? It's literally everything. It's Jesus sanctifying our thoughts. Our speech, our values, our priorities, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what are our goals in life, all of that is supposed to be under the process of sanctification. That's why for some people, when they get saved, when they're justified, like day one, they go, Oh, wow. Everything is supposed to now be looked through the lens of Christ? Their life begins to change dramatically quickly. And so people that knew them, like last week, then all of a sudden they see, wait, dude, what happened to you? Because there's this revelation and there's this change that starts happening. And literally, when we're in the process of sanctification, all of these things are to be ever adapting and changing and looked through the lens of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Our thoughts and our speech and our values and our priorities and our goals in life and what we do with our money and our time and how we, how we live and exist is supposed to all be looked at through a different way. Practically, our lives today, right now, what is it? October 22nd, 2023. If we were to compare today to a year ago, exactly 365 days ago, if you were a Christian then and you're a Christian now, you should be able to go, oh, I have grown to become more like Jesus in some or if not all, even if it's a little bit. Like we're supposed to always continually be adapting and changing and be sanctified. And so the life of the Christian is supposed to be, over time, more kingdom-minded, more Christ-centered, more in line with the Word of God, more glorifying to God. That's why I think we've talked about this a bit, but the word Christian and being a Christian, I think, over time, has been watered down. A lot of people just call themselves a Christian. you are like, okay. But... What does that actually mean to be a Christian? It's not only just going, well, I prayed that prayer one time in 1998. That's the start. Needed that. But that's just the beginning. You were justified by faith through Christ. Cool. What are you now? In the process of sanctification. And again, if you, if you grew up in the church, you might not have this, like, radical testimony of, like, you know, I once was like Paul the Apostle persecuting the church. Now I'm, like, planting churches, right? That doesn't matter. You don't have to have this drastic, completely different testimony. Some of us do, though. We get saved later in life, and we were just living a life that was, like, wild and however we wanted to. Yeah, yeah. People are going to be like, knew you from high school, and they're going to be like, dude, you are a completely different human. That's a good thing when you hear that. I don't know if you guys, I know a lot of you were not a believer in high school. And you became a Christian years later, especially here on island, (laughs) you know, right? Where did you go to school? Where did you go to high school? Matters. Oh, I knew you. Small island. And then all of a sudden, you live a completely different life following Jesus. And people are like, wow, I see that change. That's a good thing. That's a powerful thing, right? For today's topic, Paul, doesn't, Paul, Paul gets specific. Paul's topic for all of us today to concentrate and examine and pray over is this. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Other translations would say, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Again, this doesn't mean that you can't feel certain things and just pretend everything is okay. That's not what he's saying. But what I believe Paul is doing here is he's challenging our hearts. Because think about it. In life, when you complain or grumble about something, what that's usually coming from is that you are unsettled or discontent about a certain thing probably because of envy or jealousy or comparison, or maybe it's because of ungratefulness, right? Think of just any time in your life where you're like discontent and you're like just grumbling and complaining about a certain situation. What does that come from? Well, it's probably like either like envy or jealousy or ungratefulness or like Maybe perfectionism, like the plan didn't go according to plan, so it's over. And you're like, that was your plan. I'm speaking to myself. Right, we have a plan. We have have a schedule for the day. What happens? It always gets interrupted. Oh my gosh, it's over. Ah, the day's ruined. Why though? Is it? Or is it just that our plan was interrupted? Right? And it can go on deeper issues. But a lot of times, when we are in a time of discontentment or grumbling or complaining that Paul's speaking about, a lot of times it comes from because we are envious or jealous of something else someone else has and we don't have it, so it makes us unhappy. Or it's comparison, or maybe it's just ungratefulness that we're just not remembering how grateful we should be about a certain thing and we just are looking at the bad parts. But usually... Right? When we're grumbling or complaining or discontent, what's the remedy? Well, the remedy a lot of times is thankfulness, it's gratefulness, and it's putting everything in a heavenly perspective. Like in any situation, if you feel yourself grumbling and complaining and discontent, if you step back, and you're like, okay, but let's look at the big picture. Let's look what God has given me. Let's look at the life, stuff I do have. Or, in light of eternity, does this really matter? The answer will probably be like, ah, no, it's not that big a deal, probably. But again, Paul, very directly, is having us assess how we're doing in this area. And so, we should ask ourselves this today. How often are we grumbling, complaining, and unhappy about circumstances? Is it a lot? Again, like, think about your own life, your own week you just had, your job, your finances, your family, friends. Just think about it for a second and, and ask yourself, how often am I grumbling, complaining, and unhappy about my circumstances? If it's a lot, or even if it's a little, where is that coming from? Why? Why are you feeling that way? Why are, you, why are you unhappy? Why are you discontent? What is leaving us discontent rather than grateful for what we have? Like what's doing that? Right? We should present those things to the Lord. We should, this is the time to like, okay, like during second set of worship, let me, let me pray over those things. Let me assess those things. Let me give those things to God, right? But Paul doesn't just leave it there. The first thing he says is that living in a way that honors God, and it could be as simply as just being more grateful and not complaining and grumbling about your circumstances, right? The first thing he says is that living in a way that honors God, living a Christ-centered, God-honoring life, will not be easy or the most popular thing to do. What he says there in our verses this morning is he says that you'll be doing it while living amongst amongst a crooked and perverse generation, and what he's meaning by that is that so many in our world do not follow the way or plan of God. They don't believe what we believe, they do not follow the way of Jesus, they don't they could care less about the Word of God or the Bible or what it says, and so. If you do not have the Bible and the will of God and the way of God as your standard, then most of the world is left to their own devices. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you get a lot of money. Do whatever your parents say. Do whatever your friends do, right? There's no guide. It's all fluid. It's just You're left to your own devices. And so what happens is, is that sin and the effects of sin becomes widespread. This is the world we live in. It is completely broken. Again, it started in the Garden of Eden, started with Adam and Eve, and it's trickled into the rest of humanity until today. And today, I mean, I don't have to preach that. Like, we live in a world of wars and Hurt and pain and death and brokenness at home and abroad. There's so much pain, there's so much perversion in the world, there are so many things that, and so many people living outside the way of Jesus. And so, what Paul is saying here is that following the way of Jesus, I mean, we know this for the last two millennia, hasn't been the most received or the most popular. It wasn't then and it isn't now. And so a life lived for Jesus will stand out. People will notice and people will ask questions. Again, sometimes that's going to lend to like people receiving and sometimes it's going to be like more of like a persecution. But a life lived for Jesus in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation will stand out. And Paul describes our lives are to be different than those that don't. Like a Christian's life is supposed to be different. Looking than someone that does not follow Jesus. And Paul said, this, the contrast is supposed to be so different that you should shine like stars in the night sky." Paul uses this like natural example. He brings it in the text. And he says, "You should live the way of Jesus, right, in the midst of a crooked verse, first generation, and your life should shine like stars." For all to see. Shouldn't be hidden, but they should be bright and in view for all to see. Which brings Paul to his other point. Not only does Paul want us to grow personally, but he says the way in which we live, the way in which we view our life and how we act, has huge effects. Has huge effects on people around us. This is the truth. A sanctified life is the loudest witness the world has to to be exposed to the person of Jesus. When I was growing up, like youth group age, my youth pastor would say it this way. He said, you may be, your life may be the only Bible people read. What he was meaning is that a Christian's life is supposed to mirror and emulate the life of Jesus and the way of God. That just by the way you live is supposed to show and tell the Bible to people. Because the truth is, some people have never been in church, never read the Bible. Maybe will never even try to step foot in a church. But God has placed you in their lives. And so let your life be a testimony to who God is. God uses our life to bring others to himself. If you don't believe Paul and you don't believe me, maybe you will believe the words of Jesus. In the Beatitudes, in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gathers the crowd overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and he says this. You are the light of the world. If you are, like, nervous to share your faith and evangelize and actually use words to communicate this, well, Jesus said, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds. Just the way you live your life is going to speak volumes. That's why it's also true that actions speak louder than words. This is where this is coming from. A sanctified life is the loudest witness the world has to be exposed to the person of Jesus. And Paul knew it. Paul knew it. And so that's why he's harping on it. That's why he's harping on it. But we know in order for our light to shine, or as Paul would say, in order for us to be stars that shine brightly in a crooked, perverse generation, is that first our life has to be under the lordship of Jesus and we have to be in process of becoming like him otherwise there's not we're not shining we're just like everyone else right that's where the heart work is that's where like the deeper inner work of god in our lives starts and it can only start when we surrender when we surrender when we recognize that we're in need of Jesus to change us and we actively ask the Holy Spirit to change us. Right? Paul understood that it first starts with deep-rooted surrender that needed to happen first before actual change could happen. Like he knew that we had to surrender our thought life. He knows that we need to surrender our speech. He knows that it needed to be that we need to surrender our values and our time and our talent and our treasure all needed to come under the lordship of Jesus first. And then deep-rooted change would come forth. Paul was big on this. And knowing and walking out our identity uh, in Christ was really important That we understood like who Christ was and who we are because of that. And so he he wrote this over and over in his letters. I'll just give you a few examples to kind of end today. When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Galatia, the letter to the Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul speaking, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see how Paul's not talking about any character change or Christian conduct yet? He says it first has to start with a surrendered life. Paul's like, it first starts with going, oh, it's not actually I who live anymore, but I now live for Christ. Then... To the church in Colossae, the letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul speaking. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So it begins with surrender and then out of surrender comes a changed life to the glory of God and to the salvation of others. And so to end our time as we enter into a time of worship where we get time to respond and pray and worship and allow God to minister to us, my question I have for all of us is this, including myself. Where are we at with our sanctification? Are we stagnant or are we growing, right? Is our transformed life bearing witness of the life of Jesus to those around us? These are the type of questions I want us to to, to pray over, to spend time allowing God to meet us in. And my prayer and hope is that we would continue to be a people that become more like Jesus. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder that... Our life is no longer our own, but actually supposed to be lived for Christ, through God, from now on. And Lord, I I pray for myself as well as all of us in this room, my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I I pray that you would really illuminate areas where you want us to grow. Or even areas that we are holding and clinging too tight to that you want us to surrender. For some of us, maybe for all of us, we really like to be in control. We don't want to be out of control. And so giving up and allowing you to fully lead is really difficult. But God, I pray that we'd be reminded of the perfect heavenly father you are. And that you only have good intentions on our behalf. You only want to do what's best for us. You only want to give us good things. And so help us to let go and allow you to lead us. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As always...